Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Um, that we will be reading and going through the Lord's Prayer. So if you do want to follow with me, we're going to be in Matthew 6 verses 9 to 13 you can either just listen or you can follow along so it's in Matthew 6 verses 9 to 13 luckily Matthew is the first book of the New Testament and so we can all find it (laughs) hopefully (laughs) Matthew 6 9 to 13 Jesus was speaking And he then, in the context of sharing with his disciples how they should pray, he then says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Father, we do pray that now, as you are our Father, as you are in heaven, Father, that your will would be done. Father, we know that this can only happen through a work of the Holy Spirit, so we do pray for our own hearts, that we would soften our hearts, that we would be able to pay attention to the message that you have and to your wonderful word. We pray this for your glory and our ultimate benefit. Amen. If you've known me a little bit and uh, we've walked a little bit together, I've probably used this illustration before or asked you this question before, but it's a great one to start again and to almost orient our hearts as we engage with what God is doing or personally how you are relating to God this morning. If I were to ask you, what is God's expression on his face as he is looking down at you this morning? What would that expression be? Is it... (laughs) I'm guessing that's time. Oh, the lights are back on. Okay, great. But let's continue. <laughs> what would God's expression be? Would it be one of a little bit confused or perplexed? Would it be one of disappointment? Would it be one of loving, but you've got to do more? Would it be one of almost faded? You can't really see what's the expression on his face because he's so distant from you. Would it be one where God is looking at you and you can almost see in his eyes that he's expecting you to do better? Would it be one of angry or vengeful that he actually doesn't want you to come near him? Many things that can impact the way that we actually view God or that we think he views us. Many of the times, actually what happens, it's not really God's expression on his face, but it's the way that we perceive that he looks down on us. And there are many things that impact the way that we view God, whether it is our own emotions, our own feelings of insecurity and inadequacy. When I'm feeling inadequate and insecure, or I don't have a lot of grace for myself, this is often the way that we think God views us as well. If you think that you should be doing better, 
or that you're not living up to scratch or that you should be following the rules more or better, then that's often the way that we think God views us. And it's not just the way that we view ourselves. Maybe we project past experiences of other people, maybe even other father figures that you grew up with. Maybe you didn't have a father figure in your life. Maybe you had a very authoritarian or militaristic dad in your life. Or maybe that's how you grew up, knowing that the way that you received love, not just from your dad, but anyone older, was if you followed the rules. And if you didn't follow the rules, then you didn't receive love. And so similarly, we project those emotions and feelings onto God, thinking that the only time that I'll receive acknowledgement or acceptance or love from God is when I do the right things. And the problem with that mind of thinking or that way of relating to God, it's very seldom that we often do the right things. We find ourselves struggling to actually even appease our own opinions or our own standards, much less that of God. And this is a very important question. It's one that we've got to ask ourselves quite often. And, and, and to really think, what is the first image that pops into your mind if you think of God and, and how he thinks of you right now? Because the way that we think or view or, or perceive God's expression to us is the way that we relate to God. If we see God as an angry or vengeful or disappointed or distant God, it's going to influence the way that we have our relationship with God. And so it's one thing to hear that we want to have a personal or intimate relationship with God. It's also another thing to even want that for yourself. But if our heart doesn't really believe that that's the place where we can get that, where God is a God that is approachable and accommodating and He actually wants you to come to Him, then very much you're going to have a very distant relationship with God. You see, friends, we might know and believe that God is loving and that he really cares for you. But sometimes we just think that he might love you theoretically, but he's just disappointed in you right now. <laughs> and this directly impacts our relationship with him. And it's in relationship that we actually communicate with God. And so stepping over into a life of prayer, many of us struggle with prayer. One, because prayer is just hard. <laughs> it's one of those things where you don't get direct feedback from someone or from something. And so to actually go into a state of prayer, there's something that we need to believe about ourselves and about God for us to have this living and thriving prayer life. But if we struggle to relate to God, to actually think that He accepts and loves us, obviously we will be struggle to do the most intimate thing, which is talking with God and not just talking with him but believing that God is actually listening to us as well when we don't pray out of a relational standpoint it becomes something like only a spiritual discipline and don't get me wrong spiritual disciplines are a good thing we should have discipline in our life we should have certain rhythms in our life that actually helps us to read more and talk more to God and to order our life in a specific way. But if our communication, our primary way to relate to God and to be in relation to God is only governed by discipline and not by relationship, it means that your prayer life will be empty and, and void of joy. And the problem with that is it's just not sustainable. Anything that you don't really find a deep communicative joy 
with God is not sustainable. You can keep it up for some time, but sooner rather than later, you're going to run out of steam and you just won't be able to keep the train moving. And so, I don't know about you guys, that's not what I want. What I want, and one of the things that even me myself struggle with, that I think we as this church maybe struggle with, is to have this thriving prayer, prayer life that we can not just only pray out to God and call out to God, but actually be in deep relationship with God. And so a great example, where to find this and how to find this, is to look at the life of Jesus. What's very interesting is that even though Jesus himself is God and he's part of the Trinity, uh, when you look at the life of Jesus, he's just constantly praying. Everywhere in the Gospels, we see that Jesus was off praying. Now, we might think, what, what is the most important thing that Jesus could have been doing on earth? And we would probably say, well, maybe heal the sick or help the poor or evangelize or spread the message of the kingdom. And yet, often enough, Jesus takes time apart from people. He separates himself from from people. He takes time away from his ministry so that he can pray. And why? What's interesting, if we go read the way that Jesus prays or the content of Jesus' prayers, especially in John 17, where we see Jesus prays out loud and his disciples can hear what he's praying, Jesus constantly calls God his Father. And so Jesus isn't praying just because he needs to pray to somehow now fill him up with power and now he can do ministry like he charges his batteries again and then he goes depletes his and he comes back. No, Jesus is praying because he is in deep relationship with God the Father. Jesus cannot go without talking with God the Father. And that's the way that he relates to him. So six times in John 17, Jesus calls God his father and so it's this natural rhythm that jesus is just in wanting and needing to communicate with god and now remember he was fully human and and so he wasn't choosing at that stage to access actually his divinity and some of these things so being in human form he was praying in the same way that we were but he had to be in communication and in relationship with his dad the whole time and the disciples noticed this they saw and they recognized that even though God were, or Jesus was God and he knew the Father more than, better than anyone, he even says in John 17 that he who sees me has seen the Father, even though that is Jesus, God, part of the Trinity, has the Holy Spirit and is praying often, they say, that's what I want. More than just praying and being able to pray, I want that relationship that Jesus has with the Father. And so they approach him. When you go read the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, it says that when Jesus finished prayer, praying, he went to his disciples and his disciples approached him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Which is interesting. Because remember, these were pious religious Jews. They knew how to pray. They were praying all their life. From the moment that they could speak and listen, models of how to pray and old covenant prayers would have been, and psalm prayers, they would have done it in the family, they would have done it at school, they would have had personal prayers, they would have Sabbath prayers, and yet they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray because it's so much more than teaching them how to have a pious or religious model of praying or a spiritual discipline. They were asking Jesus, teach us how you teach chat or communicate with your dad in that way. We don't have that. Man, we, we, we're praying, but we don't have that relational element in the way that you're relating 
to your dad. And so what Jesus then does is give them, he gives them more than just the words to pray. He, he gives them more than just a template of how to pray. He definitely does that as well. But he gives them a theology of how to relate to God. The content of the Lord's Prayer is, is really exciting if you really dive deep into it. But it's in the relationship that drives the deep prayer and not the deep piety that we try to achieve. Jesus even warns them as he gives them these prayers. He's like, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't think by just letting other people see how you pray that you're going to receive favor. Don't be like the Gentiles that just try to have phrases upon phrases upon phrases, thinking that you can trick God and listening to you. No, pray then like this. And this is where we come to the Lord's Prayer. And so this is what we'll be diving into for the next couple of weeks. And today... We're just doing the opening two words of the Lord's Prayer, which is, it sets the tone for the rest of the prayer. And Jesus starts and he says, Our Father. Now, this is actually a phenomenal statement. We know that God is Jesus' Father, because in the way that they've been relating to one another inside the Trinity. But Jesus didn't go and say, my Father, who is in heaven. He starts by saying, our Father, meaning that God relates to Jesus as Father, and, or, or Jesus relates to God as Father, and in the same way, he's inviting his disciples to also relate to God as Father. And so two things I want us to see this morning, and we won't be too long. The first is to see the impact that this will have in the way that we relate to God, in prayer. And secondly, what I want us to notice, the impact that it has on the way that we relate to one another in prayer. And so firstly, relating to God. I don't think it really strikes us when we read that Jesus said, Our Father, but for back in the day, for the Jews, um, the way that Jesus phrased it was a new concept for them. They knew about God being a father-like figure for Israel. Even in the Old Testament, it says that God fathered Israel. He was the all-encompassing father of Israel. So he was definitely seen as a father figured. And it was mentioned a couple of times that the leader of Israel, or many of the times the king of Israel, referred to as the son of God. But never would have been thought that God is seen as the dad of the everyday man and woman on the street. Rather, it is this big God over the nation of Israel. It was never personalized in the sense of that you and I would be able to call God our father. Now, he is the father of Israel, and he is the father of the king or the one that intercedes for us. Even as the disciples heard these words that Jesus was speaking, it must have sounded blasphemous to them. How can Jesus even say this? And for the reason for this is not that they believed that God of the Old Testament was a tyrant, or that God wasn't loving in the Old Testament, or somehow maybe even different from the God that we're serving today. It is because they very clearly understood that God is holy. And God cannot not be himself. He is a holy God. And what happens is everything that is not holy and comes close to this holy being, it's almost like coming closer to the sun. If you're not holy and not consecrated, you become incinerated. 
God's holiness burns so strong that anything that is unholy as it comes into close contact with God, it gets destroyed. And so we see this time and time and again in the Old Testament how Israelites had to have these Levitical laws. They had to have these practices. They had to consecrate themselves to make sure that as God was dwelling in their midst that he didn't destroy them. Even when God was at Mount Sinai, when something unholy touched the mountain, one of the animals possibly touched the mountain, that animal had to be killed and to destroyed. We see that the high priests once a year could bring sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel. And if someone somewhere didn't properly repent or bring the right sacrifices, the high priest was struck down. And they couldn't go in to retrieve his body. He had a rope on his leg when he was in the most holy so that they could drag him out. Because God's presence was so all-consuming that nothing could withstand it. And it was killed in an instant. And so no wonder then what drove the relationship for the Israelites at that time because they simply couldn't measure up. They simply couldn't keep all the laws. They simply couldn't keep on consecrating themselves. They simply couldn't remain pure and undefiled before the Lord. What was driving the relationship, what was initially meant to be love because God was drawing them closer in love, actually became fear. Fear of not being enough. Fear of understanding and knowing that we actually don't measure up. Fear of knowing if I come too close to this holy God, will actually be incinerated. And so it's into this relationship that we almost have this catch-22 situation where God desperately wants to be in relationship with us. And yet, because of our state of being, being sinful, we can't get close to God. And so what do we do? Well, we don't do anything and we can't do anything. And I think that's the point. We were unable to get close to this God. And so enter Jesus. This is where we have the perfect God-man, Jesus representing and being God himself, yet being fully human as well and living the perfect life that we never could. And so we see in Matthew 3, the voice out of the heaven looks at Jesus and says, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. And so Jesus comes and as a representative of all of us, does everything that we never could. Living complete righteous and holy life for us. And this is then what we call the great exchange that happens on the cross. This perfect and righteousness that he achieved, he then gave us and took on himself the unrighteousness, the unholiness that we all have. And he paid the price. He bore the full brunt of God's wrath and holiness coming down on him right then and there. So that now, for those who are in Jesus, we can actually approach the throne of God. And so what Jesus was doing in the beginning of the prayer, he was already extending the future grace to his disciples, already giving them the model of saying, this is what it will be like after my resurrection. This is the way to we, how we can refer to God. All of us were born outside of the family. And yet, in Jesus, we suddenly are looked differently by God. Again, the same type of verses in Matthew 17, verses 5 to 7 At the transfiguration, we see that it says, When the disciples heard this, 
or, or first, uh, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to them. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. <laughs> Do you hear the old way in which they were referring to God? Terrified when they heard this. When they heard this voice. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no more fear. So what Jesus was doing, he was inaugurating this new way in which we were to relate to the Father. And the only way that this could happen was not just the paying of sins and not just righteousness, but it was making us part of the family. And this is what we call adoption. We were all sons and daughters when we went astray, but in Jesus we became part of the family. And so two verses that tell us this, Galatians 4 it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Dad. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's always interesting how Jesus takes it another step further and then he takes it another step further. Not only were our sins paid for, not only did we receive the righteousness, we were now made part of the family. But I don't know about you, but if you were adopted into a family, there's this dilemma that you can fall into that you think that you're second tier. You're part of this family, but you weren't naturally born of the family and so maybe you don't have all the rights that the natural brothers and sisters have. And this is why the Bible says we become sons of God and not just sons and daughters. Because back in the day in the Jewish culture and heritage, it was only through the sons that the inheritance of the family was given through. And what Jesus is now communicating is that we all get that title. We become sons and daughters of God, but we get the title sons of God, meaning that not only do we receive God's love, but we also receive the inheritance of God. And so we are sons and daughters of God, but we have the title sons of God, meaning that all of us, no matter race or gender or decree, can now receive the inheritance from God and share that with Jesus. We are not second tier children. We are heirs. We get part of the inheritance. We enjoy the privileges and the intimacy that Jesus now enjoys with the Father. And that is why Jesus can say, Our Father. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you if you have, in fact, believed in Jesus' name? Well, this is what it says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And what does it mean for us if God is, in fact, our Father? Well, for starters, and we've said this before, it's that God doesn't just love you, He actually likes you. <laughs> that He actually does want to spend time with you. That He is this eager dad wanting you not just to come tell Him what happened, but actually shared with Him what happened in your life and your day. To come and to commune with God. To be with Him. Not simply to come and make known the things that should be made known. To give the praise that you know that you should be giving praise to. But simply being with God. 
because he's your dad, not just your father. The moment we start praying like this every day, when we understand that this is a God who wants to spend time with us, we know it's not easy in the beginning. This is not always how we emotionally feel and this is not how we perceive God. Remember the question in the beginning that we told ourselves that what is the expression that God has in His face when He looks at you? Well, most of us, when we start our day or at least at the end of the day, after we've messed up during the day, we think that God's expression is not one of love and acceptance but one of disappointment and that influences then the way that we speak to God. But if we do believe He is our Father, then at least we should force ourselves to at least try and communicate it with, with, with Him in that way. That's fine. When we start communicating with God in that way and at least try that form of understanding that He is our Father, then it's theology happening in our hearts. When you start praying like this, you, you are telling yourself, this is my dad that has his son has borne the price for the sins. This is the dad that accepts me and loves me. Even though I don't feel that, even though I don't believe that right now, I'm going to pray in this way. And I'm going to pray because I know that I'm praying truth to my own heart. It is us training our own hearts to start believing that which we know is true in the Bible. Because often than not, we actually struggle to believe that. It is the constant prayer of the Son to the Father that starts driving away the fear of punishment and failure. Most of, most of the ways or the things that we do or relate to God often is, is driven out of fear and not out of love. It's when we start discovering that God is our Father that we run to Him when we are in danger and not away from him when we've messed up. Classic example is Adam and Eve. When they messed up, they hid themselves from God. They were expecting punishment and shame, which they did receive. Jesus calls himself the second Adam. He now comes, he already took the punishment so that the way that we relate to God when you mess up is not punishment and so understand that you have this orphan heart your first inclination will be to run and to hide from God what Jesus is inviting us to is to see that that shame and punishment has been taken away and that we can actually go to God so a simple way to ask yourself is this when you mess up what is the first first thought that you think about let's let's use uh an illustration about our earthly dads. What is the tone of voice? Is it, oh, I messed up. I messed up. I've got to call my dad now. <laughs> or is it, I messed up. I better call my dad. The, the, the one is expecting condemnation and the other one knows that the only one that can really help me from myself is my dad. And more often than not, we run to the self-condemnation that I'm just not good enough. That surely this time, after the upteenth time that I've messed up, surely this time His love will not be enough. 
the only reason why we can actually tell one another is that it is enough. It's not because of our goodness, but it's because of the cross. Every time that we struggle to believe that his love isn't enough, we're actually saying that Jesus' price on the cross was not enough. That's what we use the phrase, I've got to crucify myself. Or why are you crucifying yourself? Is because we believe that the crucifixion wasn't enough. And so I need to add on to that. So the moment that our hearts start to doubt that we can't run to God, we've got to look at the cross. And we've got to see what a big and perfect sacrifice that was. And that's exactly why we'll be using communion in a bit. We are going to use communion. That's one of the gifts to the church so that we can believe that the sacrifice is enough. So that we can believe that God actually is the personal Father called to all of us. And so lastly, the second point, it changes the way that we relate to God. But it absolutely changes the way that we relate to one another. Jesus is the oldest brother. But we then become brothers and sisters. And so it's interesting in the template for saying how we should pray. It's not an individualistic prayer. Even though most of the times you will have individual prayers, what we're seeing here in terms of a template is God expecting us to pray together. Collectively saying, Our Father. And so what that means is that individually, left to our own devices, we'll probably struggle to believe that this is true and real. But as a community, praying it to one another, for one another, with one another, we can help our orphaned and wayward hearts believe the true love of God. So family, I pray that we would believe this. I pray that we would believe that God is not just the distant God, but He is our Father. And I pray that we would be a community, community that constantly asks one another and points one another and asks one another, what is God's expression right now? Do you see him as your dad or as the father? Do you see him as the one that gets you out of trouble? Or do you see him as the one that you need to go and tell that you've messed up again? Let's pray together. Father, we pray now as we share communion that we would have these physical signs remind us of the glorious invisible truth that is true in Jesus. We pray and we know that the thing that our hearts desperately run to is to find security and significance in ourselves and our situations and our accomplishments, Father. And then more often than not, what we are faced with is our failures and our shortcomings. Even as Christians, knowing sometimes what we should be doing, how we should be praying, and what are uh, all these tick boxes, Father, that I should be doing, it's weighing us down so that we actually can't come to a place where we can sit with you and be with you. And so even this morning, we just pray that we would move into the awkward space of not knowing actually what to pray or how to come to you because I've messed up again, Father, and to just be with you and to experience that we've got a dad that wants us to grow, that wants us to mature, but knows that that, that comes from a place of acceptance and that comes from a place of love. And we find that in the face of Jesus. May that be true for us. May we be a community that then extends this grace to one another 
as we pray our Father and extends this grace to people that we meet every day. Amen.